I have heard it said, patience is a virtue. Agree or disagree? See, now here's the interesting thing. We're in a series called Summer Stories. Summer Stories is all about those things that we learned as kids, and I would be willing to bet you teach your kids or grandkids, but do we live it? How many people would tell your kids that patience is a virtue? Patience is something that you need. Or put it this way, how many people have ever told your child you need to wait in line? Not yet. And the ubiquitous parental answer to any question, maybe. Ever said that? Yeah, so you think patience should be something for kids, but I've been on the highway, and I've been around some people that I know go to WordServe. So you know that I'm not patient when I drive. I <laughs> see you thought I was going to go there the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen the highway driving, and, and adults are not patient in Houston. Uh, I'm just here to say. So why is it that we say patience is a virtue, that we teach our kids that, but we don't live that? I find that curious. Do you? Okay, I'm the only one then, right? Well, I'm just going to talk to myself for the rest of the period here. But let me start with this ubiquitous symbol of America that has... Uh, defined America in recent years. It has gone abroad, and everybody will recognize this immediately. This is America's image around the world. <laughs> Did you notice the price of the hamburger? 15 cents? <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. It used to be 15 cents, unless you got the Big Mac, and that was, that was really expensive, right? But this is McDonald's, and the reason I bring this up is this is the image of efficiency. McDonald's was founded in a time when efficiency was everything. It was very scientific, like we're going to see just how fast we can churn this food out, and we're going to do this cool thing called a drive-through. You don't even have to get out of your car. You don't even have to turn off your car. You can actually drive right through and continue to eat. It is the model of efficiency. But you know what they found over long term? Well, this looks very appealing, and, and Okay, I'm guilty. I, I do drive-throughs frequently because who's got time to go home and cook, right? But here's what they found, especially with McDonald's. That right around the early 2000s, I think it was 2002 to 2003, if you Google it, you'll see that there's a series of lawsuits. And the lawsuit that brought national attention to McDonald's was a guy sued McDonald's because McDonald's made him fat. I am not making this up. <laughs> you can look it up. He sued McDonald's because it was McDonald's fault that he was obese. Well, think about that for a second. So, yeah, it's fast, it's efficient, but what are the long-term effects? And, and that was just the first of many lawsuits that followed because it wasn't just about obesity. It was about general health and how the calories were empty and all these other woes that started to come out. So while McDonald's is the image of efficiency, and yes, it is quick and it is easy, is it worth the long-term results? And that's the, the question that I have this morning, those long-term results, that, that strategic game. Are we willing to play that when it comes to our health, to our nutrition, to our faith? Think about this for a second. Now, our society, I will warn you in advance, uh, Andrew, can I ask a favor of you? Would you mind grabbing my phone right there and just handing it to me? If I walk forward to the speakers, you all get an earful of feedback. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm timing myself so I don't go over. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not timing myself. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it is hard. This culture makes it very hard for us to wait for anything. And it's getting worse. 
I don't know if you have noticed this. Uh, what makes it especially hard for me is, uh, you know, you, you look around and you see others getting ahead of you in, in whatever it is that you're worried about. In, in the corporate world, in the rat race, uh, the neighbor's lawn looks better than mine. They got a boat and I don't. Uh, they've got an RV and I don't. The, their kids have the latest, I don't know, PS, what are we up to now, 10? Uh, <laughs> five, thank you, Sophie. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> that is so awesome, right? And, and my kids still have Atari, right? Anybody remember that one? Right. So whatever it is, it makes it very hard for us to be patient and to develop into what God wants us to be when we see other people getting ahead. Or is it just me? Now, our, our, our technology is making this worse and worse. In fact, I think it, it's, not, it's not getting worse in a line. It's getting worse exponentially. Let me show you what I mean. 25 years ago, I want to know what time sunrise is. Well, I have to make time to go to the public library whenever it's open. I have to find the farmer's almanac and thumb through the date that I want, and it will tell me what time sunrise is. What would you estimate that time would be, a total time involved to find out sunrise? What would you think? Hour, maybe hour and a half. Yeah, I'm a slow reader. <laughs> Those numbers, they always confuse me. Hour and a half just to find out what time sunrise is. And this is just like 25, 30 years ago. Uh, I, I want someone to time me for just a second. Anybody got a stopwatch or can count? <laughs> All right. Have I got a timer? I know I'm asking a lot. <laughs> okay, I got a timer. All right. Uh, uh, on your mark, get set, go. Okay, Google. What time is sunrise? Stop. Nine and a half seconds. Can you believe it took that long? I mean, did you see how long I was standing here waiting for that to tell me what sunrise was? It's ridiculous. My phone, I need a new phone. Because my neighbors will do it in 4.5 seconds. You see what technology is doing to us? It's making us very much on demand. And it's making us not patient, impatient, lacking patience. But when I read scripture, there are several times when scripture says, be patient. It says, wait on the Lord. It says, those who wait on the Lord will gain strength. Exactly. But am I willing to do that? And what makes me willing to do that or not? It is ironic that we live in such a world that is instant gratification, and yet we are expecting our kids to hold a line of patience. I don't even hold the line of patience very well. Now, I will tell you up front that God's kingdom is not efficient, but it is worth the wait, and that's the difference. So we're going to dive in this morning to Galatians chapter 6. If you're playing the home game, if you want to look that up, specifically uh, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. And while you're turning there, uh, set a little bit of the background here. Paul is writing to a church that had good, solid doctrine. They were off to a good start. They were following Jesus Christ. And then they've got a lot of other influences pouring in that are pulling them off of that original story of Christ. So what are the motives of the people that are straying from the Christian faith in that early church? Uh, probably the same motives that would attract us to other things. I look at my neighbor and, and his religion, and it looks like they're having more fun. Um, I look at, at my other neighbor and, and his religion or her religion, and she seems to be doing better off uh, material than me, so maybe I'll go to that one. Um, 
whatever it is, there, there are a million excuses, but, but there are um, lots of influences in that church that are pulling people off of that original story. And Paul's whole thing is, wait for it. That, that's a common phrase today, wait for it. Have you heard that? This is what Paul says, but this is the way Paul says it. Because Paul can't just say, wait for it. He has to write like a run-on sentence that's 10 minutes long. And, um, pardon me, I'm going to read from the screen because it's easier for me to read from the screen. But here we go, Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." This is the word of God. It is for the people of God and for this word. We are grateful. Paul is saying, wait for it, because he knows what it is to experience the fullness of Christ. In our example earlier, when I talked about the model of efficiency, the the McDonald's, uh, Paul is saying, don't go to the McDonald's of religion. Don't go to McReligion. In fact, the MC in front of any word in modern society is a... uh, uh, a comic relief type of way of saying this is something that may be very easy, but is also very shallow. Uh, it may look fast, but it's very empty. Uh, one example I might give you is uh, there's an actual website called McDojo Life. Uh, if you don't know what a dojo is, it's a martial arts training hall. And so this McDojo Life site is devoted to those people who are black belts from Amazon.com, but never really spent the time to train. And so this McDojo life is all about exposing these false teachers, these fake black belts. And it, it just somebody who is will walk in and challenge them and show what an idiot they are. And then they put it on this McDojo life website. You can Google it right now if I'm boring you. So go for it. But it's fascinating because when you take that kind of um, relationship and you transfer it over to religion, it is, are we experiencing McReligion? I mean, ask it this way. A lot of people, when they look at the Christian life, they say, oh, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Jesus follower. What do I have to do? Oh, admit, believe, confess. Awesome. I did that. Check. I'm done. That would be like me going, I want to be a black belt. Amazon.com, send me a black belt. Tie it on. I'm a black belt. No, I'm not. I'm wearing it, but I don't know anything about that. Christianity has the same effect in some ways. We say we believe, but do we develop? We say we follow Jesus, but only insofar as it's convenient. We say we want to mature into the fullness of Christ, but do we take the time and experience the experiences that we need to to really be shaped in the image of Christ? I know I don't. I told you up front, I confessed, I am not a patient man all the time. And so I want that hack. I want that shortcut. I want that McReligion. But the long-term effects are not helpful because if you've ever been damaged by the Christian faith, I'm willing to bet it was someone in a church who took the name Christian but didn't fully understand what it was to follow Christ and probably did damage to you. They were a Christian, right? It was fast, it was easy, but it wasn't deep. 
Because in the depth and the fullness of Christ, we understand things like grace and forgiveness, and we actually can apply them. Are we perfect? No. But do we have something more than just a title? Yes. And that's the whole point of waiting on the Lord and this idea of patience. And that's what Paul is trying to get through to these people. Now, I want to jump into a couple of specific things in this verse, so I'm just going to underline them here um, <clears throat> because I could talk all day if I don't focus. So focus, focus, Bill. I want you to look at two phrases. The first one is, let us not become weary in doing good. And then the second phrase is, at the proper time. What fascinates me about this is, it's not just Paul saying, don't quit. It's not Paul saying, slog it out, put one, front of the, one foot in front of the other. Paul is saying, do not become weary in doing good. That's a whole different thing. If I'm just focused on not quitting... I may go through the motions. I may show up but not really be there. But am I not weary? That's a whole different level. If I said, uh, you're going to be on the treadmill, and I don't want you to quit, uh, that gets pretty plodding after a while. I just can't quit. I can't quit. But if I sit on the treadmill, I don't want you to become weary. I want you to continue to walk at a rate of three miles an hour. That might change your approach. If I told you I just don't want you to quit, you're just going to gut it out until you finally can't do it anymore and you're going to stop and say, I'm done. If I said, I don't want you to become weary, I want you to continue a pace at three miles an hour, or whatever is good for you, then it changes our approach. And here's what I would do if I knew that that was my requirement. I'm supposed to continue at a walk of three miles per hour. I would probably walk for a while, and then I would step off, and I would take a rest. I would drink some water. I would eat some food. I would step back on, and I would continue to walk at three miles an hour. And when I started to get tired, I would step off and maybe take a nap. You see the rhythm of this life? It's always about keeping us from not being weary, not just not quitting. That's like the minimum. We're talking about a performance level of not being weary. And it's a different lifestyle. Now, Paul knows that there's much more behind all of this than this one sentence that he's saying, because if you study the whole of Scripture... It talks about Sabbath. It talks about rest. It talks about restoration. But it also talks about work. It talks about harvest. It talks about go, make, disciples, teach, baptize, all of that activity that has to go on. And here's my concern for the North American church, especially as the numbers of actual people get smaller in a given church, there are more people that feel like they're on a treadmill and can't get off. And they will run themselves, God love us all. We will run ourselves to death, and we will face plant, and that treadmill will spit us right out the back. And then we're done. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, do not become weary. So how do we do that? How do we do that as a church? I have some ideas. The three M's. We're going to talk about motive. We're going to talk about ministry. We're going to talk about mindset. So as we approach this thing called faith and the ways that we serve Christ in this world today, the number one question we have to ask ourselves is, what's my motive in doing this? Is my motive for me or is my motive for Christ? Because there's a whole different animal there. Uh, if you look at Matthew 5.16, that's the passage that basically talks about, let your light so shine before people so that uh, they will see your good works. Is that the whole verse, though? It's not. Why am I letting the world see my good works? So that God may be glorified. 
If I go into service, uh, whatever, if it's cleanup day, if it's a project, if it's sharing my faith with someone at work, and my goal is my glory, I've got the wrong motive. I'm going to wear out. That's going to get old quick. Uh, Not to mention the fact that if it's all about me and all your experience about Christ is through me personally, you're going to wear me out. Because every time you need something from Christ, the only thing you know is to come to me. And the more people I share with, the worse it gets for me. Because you're all going to come to me. And I'm going to be on that treadmill. And I'm going to go, I can't do this anymore. I was never meant to do this. I was meant to be the conduit, as we are. So motive is everything. Is it for God's glory or is it for mine? Is there a little pride involved or is it about being a servant? The motive is the most important thing. I think if we get that right, if we're about serving Christ and bringing him glory, then we won't get weary, at least not so quickly. The second one we'll talk about is ministry. Now, there are a lot of needs in the world, and there are way more needs in the world than WordServe Church can fulfill. There are, there are more needs not just in the world. There are more needs in this community than WordServe alone can fill. But here's the good news. WordServe doesn't have to fill them all. It's the body of Christ. It's not words or church. So when we begin to look at the needs of the world, it's easy to become overwhelmed and feel like we have to do everything. Actually, we don't. If you've ever had the experience of uh, doing the study called Experiencing God by the Blackabees, they draw this wonderful chart where it says, here's the needs of the world, and, and you list them out, and then here's the gifts and talents that I have or my organization has. And wherever those two lines intersect, here's a need, and we have the gifts and capabilities to meet that need, that's your sweet spot. That's what you do. So looking for that is a focus point where we begin to say, okay, this is what we do. This is what we do not do. But we don't just cut it off and say, okay, we're not going to do that and leave these people without any hope. We say, while we don't do that, these people, their line intersects that area. So let us refer you to those people. And we begin to build a network. And through that network, there are probably no needs that we can't meet. But if we try to do it all ourselves, we are going to become weary. So it's really about staying in the lane, staying in the calling that God has given us. And that takes a lot of discernment, a lot of prayer, a lot of vision uh, seeking from God. So that's one of the things that I'm going to ask WordServe to do in in the coming fall time is to begin an earnest period of prayer and discernment. What is it that you want WordServe to do here in this community and in the world? And we'll do that. And what we don't do, we'll find ways to help people to do that. One of the examples that comes to mind, you know, I was just reflecting over the last few years, uh, I was looking through some pictures um, it, you know, the house building and all that stuff, uh, some of the tremendous projects that we have taken on, I still marvel that that actually happened, but, but God was able to work through that. Now, if I ask us today, in COVID environment, 10 years down the road, uh, I don't know about you, I have not gotten any older, um, but maybe you have. So maybe that's not the best idea to go out and, and do all that backbreaking labor right now, or maybe our schedules don't permit it because life has changed. If I ask us to go right now and build a house, I wonder if we could pull it off. I don't know. But I also wonder, is that really our calling? 
What if, and this is just pure brainstorming and speculation, what if the future looks something like this? There's a house that needs to be built. Well, we hook up with a, somebody like Habitat for Humanity, and we work in conjunction with them. Again, I'm just spitballing here. Don't panic. I'm just, just daydreaming for a second. Follow me here. And you say, but Bill, then Wurzer wouldn't get the credit for that house. Is that what we're about? I mean, we always say it's not about the house. It's about what? It's about the people. And it's about bringing Jesus to the people. So in the past, and again, I'm not judging. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying this is what was. WordServe took on the responsibility of leadership, administration, cost, management, project management, and in some cases, building. That's not a bad thing. But what if Habitat for Humanity took all that on? Because that's what they do full time. That frees us to serve with Habitat for Humanity. And you're saying, but Bill, we, we're not the church. We're not, you know, we're not out there with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, yeah, we are. Because if we volunteer together, we will be. But here's the even cooler thing in my mind. When WordServe builds a house, who do we witness to? Maybe the family. If WordServe jumps on a project with Habitat for Humanity with a bunch of people that we don't know, how many more people could we share Christ with? See, the unique thing is not that we build houses. The unique thing is that we bring Christ. So all these other secular organizations that do good in the community, I think it might not be a bad idea to partner with them because what we will do is we will serve like no other. We'll serve right beside them. And we will not shirk our duty. I know you people work hard. I've seen you. And we'll do it with quality and we'll do it with excellence. But you know what will make us unique? We'll bring Christ into that picture. So whereas before we could share that with each other, and now we can share it with the community. Not a bad way to disciple. It's about motive. Am I prideful? Am I wanting my church, my organization, my circle of friends to get credit? Or am I wanting that person to have a house to live in? And I'm just picking on one example. There are many others. Whereas if I engage in some of those secular slash heathen organizations out there, but I'm trained in how to bring Christ into that picture, that makes a whole different world. I'm not worried about the leadership and the budget and the administration and the project management. I'm just worried about working and bringing Christ to people who may not even know Christ. I'm worried about bringing the, the real Christ to those people who have been what we call de-churched. The de-churched are those who have been in church, but they had a bad experience. And, and like I said before, you may have met a McChristian that did that to you. I'm sorry. But the question to ask yourself was, was it the McChristian that hurt you or was it actually Christ that let you down? Because there's a difference. This might be something that we look at in the future. I'm, again, spitballing, but I wanted to show that because there's, a overwhelm, uh, there's a sense of overwhelm when you feel like you have to do everything, that we don't have to do everything. We have to do what we're called to do. But that requires other people to step up and do what they're called to do as well. That requires a networking. Otherwise, we're not really the body of Christ. We're just a series of silos in the community that don't talk to each other and don't serve together and don't meet the needs of the community. So something to think about. The motive, he gets the credit. The ministry, we stay in our lanes. We do what we're called to do, but we also partner with people who can do what we can't do. And that makes the body of Christ. And then the last one is the mindset. 
The mindset is really all about that phrase is at the proper time. Uh, your, your version may, may say, in due season, you will reap a harvest. I wonder how many people have been disappointed in their faith because their idea of the proper time was not God's idea of the proper time. Like I've been at WordServe for almost 10 years now. When I first came here, I had a vision of what this church would look like five years after I arrived, 10 years after I arrived. Don't take this the wrong way, but this is not what I pictured. <laughs> it's not what I pictured, but in ways it's better. Because I think if we had gotten the quick success, if we had gotten you know, the, the, the big building or the whatever just right off the bat, we wouldn't have the depth that we experience here as a family of Wordser. I don't think I would have met some of the people who have a real heart for Christ and show that in, in just the way that they live everyday life let alone with special projects. So I'm, it's not where I thought it would be, but I'm actually grateful that we, we didn't get too fast, get ahead of ourselves. Because in that process, I think in that waiting, we have become deeper in our faith. Now, not everybody is, is with us that has started with us. Life happens. People move. Uh, things happen. But I think those people who did move took an element, and, and they're still looking for that depth that WordServe had wherever they are now. See, that's, that's testament to true faith. And, and that's what I want us uh, to focus on and to be encouraged by. The other thing that uh, can wear us out when it comes to mindset is uh, we feel like, ah, it's church. I don't really want to do this. I'll do the bare minimum because uh, y'all will forgive me. It's one you have to. You're a Christian. So if I do a poor job, you'll forgive me. So I'm not going to give you my best. Mm. Again, go back to motive. Am I doing this for you? Are you doing this for me? Or are we doing this for God? Because I will assure you, as 1 Corinthians says, that if you labor for the Lord, you do not labor in vain. Whatever it is that you do. In other words, uh, in other places that Paul uses these words, he says, when you work, work as to the Lord, not as to your neighbors, your, your fellow human beings. See, when we work for God, it's a whole different level. It, it demands excellence, the same excellence and completeness that Christ gave us as he died on the cross for us. I'll, I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. I have a hard time standing at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus there in my place, and telling him what I will and won't do for him. Let me explain it this way, the, 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 the waiting on the Lord. I want to tell you a, a tale of two farmers. Two farmers had a contest, and they decided that they were going to grow the best crop. Farmer A, we'll call him McFarmer, <laughs> decided that his criteria for success would be it's got to be the tallest crop, and it's got to be the quickest crop. Off he goes. He has a little meeting with his board, and they say, okay, tallest and quickest, tallest and quickest. Uh, corn, plant corn. Okay, so he goes and he plants corn. His motive, tallest, quickest. Farmer B, we'll call him Old Faithful. Old Faithful consults a master gardener. 
Old Faithful is a student of the Master Gardener and knows that nature takes time. And so Old Faithful decides that he is going to plant watermelon. I'm a fan, personally. 45 days later, McFarmer, who planted corn, declares victory and goes out into the community and says, we win. Now, I don't know if you know anything about corn, because um, I'm an expert gardener, and, and I Googled it. It took me nine seconds to learn that corn doesn't really mature until 60 or 90 days, depending on the breed. So 60 to 90 days for fully mature corn. At 45 days, though, McFarmer declares success because his crop is taller than Old Faithful's, and it was quicker. It only took 45 days. But let me ask you, do you want any of that corn? It's not going to be good for much. Whereas Old Faithful decided to let nature take its course, to follow the practices of taking care of the garden, weeding, throwing out the things that didn't matter, making sure it had good water. And at the end of 80 days, because I'm an expert gardener, I know these things, watermelon was mature and ripe. And let me ask you, who really won the contest for the best crop? Old Faithful. I, does anybody think McFarmer? <laughs> I, see, that's the point. The point is when we wait, good things come. When we wait and let God do what God does in his season, not our season, we get the best. And that's not all. It's not just the waiting for the thing. It's who we become in the waiting. Because as whatever it is that God is working, God is working in us as well. That's where we grow into the full maturity of Christ. That's where we become changed. That's where you don't go to Amazon.com and order a black belt. That's where you go to a, not a McDojo, go to a dojo every day or three times a week, whatever, for five years, and you become a black belt. You don't just wear one. WordServe, my heart's desire, my prayer for WordServe is that we wouldn't become this. McChurch. McChurch looks good. It might win the, con the, the contest for the quickest, for the tallest, for the brightest, for the shiniest, but there's no depth. And the long-term effects of that, starving of nutrition, starving for the word, not taking time to develop in Christ, will not only be devastating to you, it will be devastating to your family, to your community, to other people. You might become that McChristian that I just warned you about. Word serve, let's not go to McChurch, and let's not become McChristians, and let's not build McKingdoms. Let's instead not grow weary, and in the proper time, in due season, we will reap a harvest, and it will be good. See, it turns out patience is a virtue.